If you like what you're hearing on the Security Ledger podcast, consider subscribing to one of our newsletters like The Daily Ledger or The Weekly Ledger. You can learn more and sign up at securityledger.com slash subscribe. This is the Security Ledger Podcast, and I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this week's podcast, episode number 147, you've no doubt heard about or even lived through the Y2K crisis. That was a software-based dragon that threatened to end civilization as we know it just after the clock struck midnight on December 31st, 1999. But have you heard about the Y2019 scare that went down on April 6th of this year? That was when older global positions system or GPS satellites rolled over a critical date counter that they used to help calculate their position in orbit. The rollover prompted the satellites to provide bad data to countless earthbound systems that relied on them. As it turned out, though, the Y-2019 issue wasn't the disaster that some expected, nor is it even the first time we've encountered this problem. The same rollover occurred 19 years ago in the fall of 1999. But don't get too comfortable. Our guest this week, William Malik, the Vice President of Infrastructure Strategies at Trend Micro, says that the rollover problem with GPS satellites is just one small example of a much more widespread problem. As we move into the Internet of Things, Malik says, we are increasingly inhabiting a system of systems in which a malfunction in any one can have a cascading effect, not to mention cyber-physical consequences. In this conversation with the security ledger, Bill and I talk about the recent GPS rollover and the bigger problem of securing operational systems for the long term. My name is William Malik. I'm the vice president for infrastructure strategies with Trend Micro. What happened was older satellites, that is those that were sent up more than 10 years ago, uh, relied on a uh, counter uh, to tell them how much time had passed since the beginning of time. Now, if you're a computer, the beginning of time turns out to be January 1st, 1980. And these older satellites used a counter that was uh, 10 bits long. Uh, What that means is that they would count up to 1,023, and then they'd roll over and start at zero. And what they were counting was weeks. The reason they were counting the time since then was they needed to know how long they had been in orbit, because that's one of the things that the software in the satellite uses to figure out exactly where it is and exactly what time it is. It's not the only piece, but it turns out to be a critical piece of information that these older satellites relied on. Newer satellites use a 13-bit counter, uh, which means that they go to, uh, it turns out, 157 years before they roll over. A 10-bit counter, counting weeks, means that it rolls over in slightly less than 20 years. So we had a rollover in the fall of 1999. Didn't matter much uh, because there weren't a lot of systems that had integrated GPS data in them in the fall of 1999. Unfortunately, by April of this year, we had a number of systems that relied on GPS information to give them their location and time and date. Uh, Among these systems were flight data on-screen displays that uh, certain aircraft relied on. So the pilot would look up 
and see, okay, we're traveling level. We're at a heading of 283 degrees, and the time is hmm, August 22nd, 1999. That doesn't seem... As a result of that, about 15 aircraft, primarily in China, were grounded because the uh, manufacturer couldn't certify the planes were airworthy because they're reporting a wrong. There was a second consequence in that uh, New York City back in 2009 had stood up a citywide internet service called NYC Win. It also was tied into the signal from some of these older GPS satellites. And so on uh, actually the evening of the 5th of April, at 8 p.m. when the clock rolled over in London, uh, the system went down, and it was down for 10 days. And what that meant was that uh, the 12,000 stoplights in New York that use timing to make sure that traffic flowed efficiently, they reverted to uh, manual mode. It meant that uh, police cars that were recording uh, traffic data couldn't upload those records, and it meant that the um, sensors that would pick up traffic uh, information, such as license plates, uh, those went offline. They got them fixed after about 10 days. Those are the most noteworthy failures as a result of this problem. Grounded airplanes in China is one thing, but, you know, it sounds like uh, that's, a, that's a pretty major impact for New York City. And again, 10 days to get it all resolved, that, that would seem to be severe. Knowing the date um, obviously um, is important, but is, does that actually figure into GPS calculations in some way? So is it not just that these systems have the wrong date, but also that they're, they're functioning as global positioning systems is impacted by this? If the satellite uh, doesn't know what time it is, then it's calculation of where it is, uh, is going to fall off as well. Now, uh, we had a similar cascading failure in the GPS system some years ago uh, when the majority of satellites up there were of the older variety. Uh, newer satellites uh, will correct that. When you use a, a GPS in the, in the early days of GPS, you remember you turn the thing on and your phone says, got one satellite, got two satellites, got three, now I know where you are. Well, um, if one of those three satellites were broadcasting incorrect information and the, the date and the time are part of the calculation the figure, that the satellite uses to figure out where it is, you know, then you would get bad location data. So although I did not express this in the talk, my biggest concern was that some automated port facilities Port Elizabeth, New Jersey, where you have these very highly automated systems that load and unload container ships, uh, that those would have problems because they use GPS signals to figure out where to where to put the container. <laughs> and if that's off, then you you know you drop the container at New York Harbor off off the coast of California, as opposed to in the right position in the ship. So that was that was my private concern. Fortunately, that did not happen. Uh, so those systems were up to date. And most uh, aircraft did not have that problem as well. Uh, in the case of New York, the system was built tied into an older satellite system. It was put in place in 2009 uh, and apparently hadn't been updated. Now, there was an FAA advisory saying, hey, this is going to be happening. But the uh, advisory obviously didn't reach the people running the system on behalf of the city of New York. And why would it? They're you know, not, not covered by the FAA. This all sounds vaguely familiar to the year 2000 problem that we all dealt with. Is this a similar type of a, of a problem or are there similar causes here with this 10-bit date calculator that ended up 
being, you know, again, a little bit less than 20 years, but maybe somebody should have figured out that these satellites are going to be up in the sky a lot longer than two decades. That's exactly the point. It is a Y2K-like problem. Uh, For space considerations, uh, meaning how much room do you have in the computer in the satellite, they decided to use a a 10-bit counter. Somebody made that decision explicitly. I don't think that they looked at the architectural specs very carefully because, as you say, as we know, satellites go up there and they last a long, long time. I mean, uh, Telstar is still up there. It went up in the early 60s. It's not broadcasting, but their Voyager has been out for 41 years. It's still chatting away, although technically it's not a satellite because it's not orbiting anything. But yeah, stuff that goes up there stays up there. It runs for a long time. And the newer satellites, the ones sent up after 2009, by and large use a 13-bit counter, which gives them you know, that 157 years before they roll over. But there are still older satellites up there, and some of them will be up there in the year 2038, and they will go through this again. Now, hopefully by then... Someone will have done a survey and said, all of these here satellites, we got to just ignore them or update their counters or, or some such to, to avoid this from recurring. Okay, so there were predictions or, or concerns about what might happen when this rolled over, both uh, in April as well as back in 1999. As you and I said earlier, by and large, this went off, this rollover happened without too much disruption. Why is that? Why wasn't there more disruption? And I guess what did the disruptions that did happen tell us about this particular issue uh, with GPS and what might be waiting out there for us in the future? The overriding lesson is that architecture matters. And architectural decisions can have really long-range consequences. Uh, someone somewhere thought 10 bits would be enough. Someone somewhere thought that you know 20 years is more than long enough uh, for for this kind of stuff to be out there. Someone assumed that there would be a replacement. Uh, that assumption was wrong. The upcoming concern uh, is: Are there any other such limits? Are there any other? Uh, counters that are built into technology that we're going to be relying on five years, 10 years down the road uh, that will uh, will bite us. When we talk about things like smart cities, what we're talking about are systems of systems. And if you have a fundamental component in this system of systems that is fragile, that is brittle, then the whole thing can become dysfunctional. One of my concerns, which I did not share, uh, was that the automated loading and unloading systems for ports would stop working because they use GPS. They weren't around in 1999, but Port of Elizabeth, New Jersey, uh, Port of Long Beach, uh, Antwerp, Singapore, they have very, very tightly connected systems to load and unload containership. Containership has 20,000 containers on it. They use GPS to figure out where to place the container in the ship. It's all automated. If those systems were tied to an older satellite, then they could have missed the ship and dumped the container into the ocean. So that's that's the kind of thing that, that I was worried about. The viral video opportunities there are really endless. I mean, you, know, you can just imagine. Yeah, if you, if you want to look at some funny pictures of, you know, stacks of containers tipping over because the system was hacked and they put the empty containers on the bottom and the heavy ones on the top, you can actually, you know, go out and find those things online. But 
fortunately, we didn't have anything that I know of uh, of that type happening. Yeah, I mean, whenever you put together a complex system, you sort of rely on stuff. Uh, I mean, to take take a broader example, in the 1990s, the people building industrial control systems wired in OPC, a software technology built on Olay version one and DCOM version one. 1990s Olay and DCOM for Microsoft were wired into this stuff. And they built industrial control systems using these things. And then in the early 2000s, Microsoft came out with XP Service Pack 1A, which turned off DCOM because it wasn't secure. Cool. Except that all of these industrial control systems stopped working because nobody in Microsoft knew that five years earlier, somebody had wired in DCOM version one into it was a big deal. I didn't know about it, but you know, why would I? I was a software guy at the time. Um, so it's it's the fragility, it's the brittleness of these systems of systems where somebody made an architectural decision or a design decision and didn't play out what the consequences were. Uh, that's that's what worries me. It's really interesting because it seems often that one of the core problems is kind of a failure of imagination. So, or, or maybe too much imagination. So the person designing that counter back in the 1980s was maybe thinking, oh, you know, by 1999, it's going to be like the Jetsons. And, you know, clearly something will have replaced this GPS satellite, you know, something much more sophisticated, not realizing that, you know, kind of if it ain't broke, don't fix it is sort of the um, watchword for things. Um, and, you know, we, we see this over and over again um, with, uh, in both industrial and consumer products uh, where, you know, the expected and, and actual lifetimes are, are very often very different. Good point. Um, in New York, they just replaced the Tappan Zee Bridge. The new bridge has an expected life of 100 years. It is engineered to last for a century. The old bridge was expected to run for 40 years. It ended up being closer to 50 before it was replaced. That new bridge with its 100-year target life has sensors all over, hundreds of them, looking at the impact of the weather, looking at the wind velocity, looking at ice, looking at traffic density, looking at speed, looking at the size of vehicles in various lanes, looking at the, the movement of the earth. How do we know that those hundreds of sensors built into the bridge, I mean, some are in the concrete, were themselves designed to last a hundred years from now, when some of them may have been built 10 or 20 years ago. I'm not saying that bridge is unsafe. What I'm saying is that 15 or 20 years from now, they may get indications that there's six inches of ice and somebody says, that can't be, it's July. So yes, it's a failure of imagination. Uh, what, what I, I totally agree with you. And actually, we, the rubber's really going to meet the road with this, with the Internet of Things. And I always talk about, you know, the CES show from, I think it was probably a couple of years ago, where you had these, um, you know, smart ovens and, and ranges that, that had like a, a tablet kind of smacked onto the front of it with, you know, running Android. And you're like, the lifespan of that Android operating system is like 18 months. The lifespan of that range might be you know, two decades or more. How is this company possibly going to be supporting their own fork of Android in 2030 when this range is still perfectly useful? That's a very good point, And it concerns me as well. Uh, I was at an event uh, earlier this week where uh, one of the folks who listened to my talk about IoT security said, under what 
circumstances is the manufacturer of that range going to download a security update to the Android fork that's running on their front? And the answers are two, you know, fat chance and slim chance. Has any of us gone a week without having some application on our phone update automatically? When was the last time, by comparison, you updated your thermostat? Most people wouldn't even think of it. What is the solution for both for the, the manufacturers who are producing this these goods, um, whether they're industrial or, or consumer, and what is the long-term solution for society? And this brings up a topic that's near and dear to my heart, of course, which is one of those solutions would seem to me to be repair and right to repair, that, that owners need to be able to... Um, take control of and manage these devices, uh, especially in situations where the manufacturer may no longer be in business or may no longer be making this this connected, smart product. Well, I agree that right to repair is is critical. Um, I could say with a tip of my hat to some of my uh, my friends on the on the right that, you know, we should leave it to the market to sort it out. You can cue the laugh track. I'm looking for that sound effect. Hold on a sec. Yeah. What is going to happen is we're going to see regulation. If you sell a hard good, if you sell a long-lived product that includes internet connectivity, then you are obliged to either maintain security as part of the warranty, or you are obliged to allow the consumer of the good to take care of it himself. And allowing the consumer to take care of it themselves is second best because I drive a car and I see a lot of cars out there that could do with some maintenance and the consumer ain't going to do it because if it isn't broken to the point where there is smoke coming out of it and flames under the hood, I'm probably not going to spend the money to get the thing fixed. So it's going to come down to uh, government regulation. Uh, the Malik group, this is but I personally say it'll probably be the state of California first, uh, the European Union second, uh, U.S. federal government next, and the rest of uh, the world will fall into line. Uh, you'll get to a point where um, the Department of Defense says we are not going to accept IoT-enabled capabilities unless they can be maintained securely and repaired as needed. And the onus will fall on the manufacturer. And what do you do about devices that live 30 years when the manufacturer goes away after five? Well, maybe they have to hand off some liability. Maybe there is a, a, a secondary market for ongoing repair. But uh, the manufacturers are not going to be let off the hook for shipping stuff out there that plays unwisely on the Internet. What about for the customers, for the consumers of this technology? Um, you know, uh, New York City, I guess, uh, went through this um, with uh, the GPS outage where they had to fall back onto existing or, or um, uh um, uh, legacy systems and processes, maybe some of them manual or paper-based, but um, what do you tell or what do you advise organizations that might have some exposure to this type of OT risk that um, could really come at them sideways or take them unawares? Well, having a backup plan is always a good idea. The nice thing about people who are doing this kind of engineering is that their primary mandate is always safety. In the case of New York City, while the uh, traffic signals that were designed to use GPS information to you know, make the flow of traffic as efficient as possible. When that signal stopped working, they went back to the regular mode of you know, 30 seconds or a minute or whatever the interval was. So the fallback was 
a, a set of reduced functionality that nonetheless allowed the thing to continue to do what it was doing. And so as long as we have industrial engineers putting together this stuff, uh, they will preserve that you know, fundamental architectural mandate of safety. So that's, that's what we would expect out of these things. Now, when you marry that with IT, you get into some interesting problems because, you know, IT folks, agile, fail fast, you know, fail fast, not with my pacemaker, you don't. I need people who are designing IT systems to start thinking about what are the consequences if this is used in a hybrid IoT thing, if it's used in a smart city. What I'd ask people putting these things together is, again, avoid that failure of imagination. Stand down that temptation to say, wow, it did that. I can use it for the other. Do a little background research. Take a look at what was that original use case? What were they originally trying to do? I mean, the history of software is that of innovation. Customer information control system developed to help handle patient uh, um, business records turned into an office system in the mainframe. Nobody thought that would happen. It wasn't a very good one, but there it was. It happened. It was in production for years. So we need to spend a little care, a little time, do a little more research and be a little more thoughtful uh, and and introduce that that safety mandate. Mm -hmm. William Malik of Trend Micro, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on Security Ledger Podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. William Malik is the Vice President for Infrastructure Strategies at Trend Micro.